Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. Today, I want to remind you before we begin that there is a website called wealthformula.com. Wealthformula.com is the home of this podcast. It's also where you get a number of the resources available to our listeners, uh, webinars, email lists, including that of the Investor Club. If you're interested, you are an accredited investor, want to get involved with some of our projects. And again, go ahead and sign up for Investor Club at WealthFormula.com. Now, one of those projects, curiously, was an opportunity presented to us by, you know, some friends, some friends of friends. Uh, I had an opportunity of being a friend's and family round of a, of a video game, you know, like one of these uh, online things uh, that was involved with distributed ledgers and all that stuff called Infinite Fleet. Infinite Fleet, as uh, a number of you in our group who participated, including myself, by the way, and it's pretty exciting, I think, is going to be listed pretty soon on this exchange called INX, and that's what we're going to talk about today is what exactly is INX? So let me say this. Disruptive technology always creates casualties. It leaves the dead behind and, you know, you got a bunch of dinosaurs sitting around. Technological dinosaurs. Now, I still remember, for example, a few years ago, walking in a city. I can't remember where it was. Maybe it was London or maybe it was in Chicago or something. Anyway, my oldest daughter was probably six six or so at the time we uh we passed an old-fashioned phone booth and she asked daddy what's that now of course think of all the technological dinosaurs that have been forgotten in your lifetime right think of all the things that we used to have records and then compact discs and compact discs came and Ding, it was like records. What's a record? You're not cool. You don't have a compact disc. Well, whatever happened to compact discs? No one really has those anymore either, right? Typewriters, how about that? I used to use those to write papers in high school. The yellow pages. Anybody use the yellow pages anymore? The great big yellow pages that landed on your front door that you used to find whatever businesses that you needed to find. I don't think you use those probably now. It's been Googleized. And I actually think the yellow pages are you know, on the internet now, but who even uses that? Sears catalog, anyone? No. Anyway, listen, the technological innovation that happens, it's so powerful that unlike most everything else, it can totally overwhelm even corporate interest. Now, 
Kodak, for example, there is an example of a company that was not very successful in blocking massive digital camera disruption into this space, right? They, they wanted to stick with film. They were in the business of film. Why would they accept this thing? Well, in fact, they ended up paying the ultimate price for not innovating and, and instead just kind of protecting what was already there. Could that happen to some behemoth financial giants like the New York Stock Exchange? Could that happen, you know, to the mighty brokers and custodians on Wall Street? Could distributed ledger disrupt the equity markets and turn all of these financial mainstays into dinosaurs? That's the question. So my guest on this week's episode of Wealth Formula Podcast thinks that well, this is the future, you know, some form of reorganization in the way of cryptocurrency, in the way that cryptocurrency and equities are held and traded is inevitable because of the law, because of requirements uh, on the SEC, and ultimately because the technology is so powerful. And so he is going to tell us about his company and how it's at the forefront of that evolution and potentially how you could get involved as well. Really fascinating stuff when we come back from these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Douglas Borthwick. He's the chief business officer of INX, which is a one of the world's first, I think, or maybe it is the first uh, SEC-registered uh, security token exchange. Douglas, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here. So you're talking a little bit offline about how when when you guys reached out about INX, it was very familiar. I kind of couldn't figure out what it was, but it, then I realized it had, we knew that uh, some of the stuff that we were doing with Samson Mao was involved as well. But let's back up and, uh, you know, give me a little bit of background on, you know, what exactly INX, what problem it's solving, how it fits into the larger digital currency space and all that? Well, I think that you know, your listeners are probably familiar with Bitcoin and Ethereum or cryptocurrencies. Sure. And cryptocurrencies, you know, I think the market caps are around $2 trillion. 
traditional equities is around $115 trillion. What I next wanted to do was move traditional equities onto the blockchain. Now, we saw ICOs back in 2017, and we thought this is crazy. People are raising money from the general public, not doing any KYC, AML, no registration with the SEC. That's nuts. And our CEO, Shai Datika, went to the SEC and said, look, I want to do a full registered security. Uh, so, you know, full prospectus offering, just like Amazon or Nike. Uh, but I want to raise capital over a website. SEC you know, told us we were nuts. Uh, we went back and spent 950 days with Ernst & Young, an MWE, a law firm in New York, and created the first ever registered security token. Uh, so this is a digital asset, uh, a security that uh, settles on the blockchain. And uh, it, it's very interesting in that respect, but it's also tradable by not just accredited investors, but also by retail investors. We opened up a website. We attracted 7,250 investors from 74 countries and raised just shy of $85 million. With that capital, we then started a cryptocurrency trading business that's now open in around 34 U.S. states and territories and should be open in all of them. We're hoping by the end of the year. Uh, we also bought a broker dealer and ATS and transfer agents. Uh, called INX Securities, and we bought an interdealer broker. That's uh, someone that deals directly with banks uh, and derivative products. So we've got you know lined business lines that go everywhere from uh, cryptocurrencies to digital securities, and from retail all the way to large banks. Um, what do we what do we solve? Well, you know, there's a lot of utility tokens out there. When you look on you know the Coinbase's or Kraken's of the world, or even Binance you find there's a lot of tokens that the SEC probably believes are securities. And uh, Gensler, the SEC chairman, has made quite a point of this over the last uh, couple of months in, in his uh, conversations with the Senate and with Congress. And you know what we've done is we've created a, a pathway for folks to, instead of issuing, let's say, a utility token that really is a security, but you know in sheep's clothing, um, and instead we've offered them a pathway whereby they could register as a security and that's either as a private security under Reg D, Reg S, or as a public security using an F1 or S1 prospectus. The first F1 prospectus uh, offering for a, a security like that was, uh, was INXs. So our belief is that soon every single asset, and this isn't just my belief, and Clayton, who is the ex-chairman uh, of the SEC, said this in a speech in Philadelphia, that he sees all assets moving to the blockchain in three to five years, and that was a year ago. So we had to create a pathway. We've done that now. And now we're getting ready to start listing a whole bunch of securities um, by both public and private available to retail and accredited investors. Going back up real quick, when you uh, is INX, does INX stand for something? Well, if you were to break it down, it'd be international exchange. Okay. And I was also wondering, is, um, is INX have its own security token then? Or how does that, how does that work? I know we you do, talked yes. about raising- We have our own security token. It's the INX token. Yeah. We issued it at 90 cents uh, in 2021, I think last year. I think it was the seventh best performing IPO in the United States. And and where is that actually? I mean, so the irony is like, so if there's no, you know, sec- securitized um, or actually SEC, you know, you create this when there's actually nothing that you can trade it on legally. Right. Oh, you can. So that, then that's why we bought uh, an ATS. So on our ATS, our alternative trading system, retail can onboard there directly. So can, you know, institutions uh, and other folks, uh, and you can trade it there at uh, securities.inx.co. Okay. Got it. Got it. 
So let's go back and, and break down some of what you talked about before. So the idea underlying this is that, okay, right now it's the, the way a lot of the digital currency is handled, uh, potentially I would say even maybe the majority, it's really the Wild West. You have you know a lot of decentralized platforms in DeFi and all that. Is the thesis in a way that maybe these things that are happening out there that the SEC and maybe governments in general are going to crack down on them so significantly that they're going to need to ultimately move on to platforms that are, you know, more kosher. Uh, is, is that part of the thesis? I wouldn't say it's the thesis. I say it's the future. So, yeah. you know, obviously I think that governments in general look at your electronic wallet that you keep Bitcoin in or Ethereum or whatever, mm-hmm. they see it as being Swiss bank accounts. Sure. They have no idea the wealth you have in there, but you know what? They'd like to know and they'd like to tax you on it. So when you see DeFi platforms and it's you know, anonymous people trading with anonymous people with anonymous wallets, that doesn't really, that doesn't bode well with the US government or with other governments. Sure. When you see NFTs trading for 20 odd million dollars between two anonymous Ethereum accounts, well, that could be seen by some regulators as being money laundering. And so they want to really you know, close the gap when it comes down to security. And what the SEC's job is, is to protect you know, everyday investors. And one way to do that is to make sure that the platforms that are trading these products are regulated in some way, either under FINRA or the SEC, um, and making sure that everyone that comes through and trades on them go through a KYC and an AML process. And so... You see DeFi platforms today being used by American citizens. The question is, will they be able to do that in six months' time? Now, what will probably happen is that all of these DeFi platforms will have a regulated um, area, a regulated pool versus an unregulated pool. The unregulated pool may be larger today, but it'll probably start to shrink. And as, as more pools become more regulated, meaning that there's a KYC AML before you partake in it, well, I think that then you'll see them actually start to grow significantly because institutions will then finally be able to get involved. And institutions in the United States, the large ones, you know, the, the large uh, mutual funds can't get into, into trading on any sort of platform that isn't regulated. And so as we bring regulation in, we'll push bad actors out or offshore, but we'll bring in all of the institutional money that's been waiting on the sidelines. So let's talk a little bit about, well, I guess what happens then? I mean, again, I'm just trying to look at the future here. And and when I said it was a thesis and you said it's just the future, what happens to these DeFi platforms? Because it's very difficult to crack down on these things, right? I mean, does it just become prohibited activity punishable by jail time? And just, you know, that idea alone is what drives people away from them? Or is it that the regulated market becomes so huge and that's where the cryptocurrency or digital currency, the mass movement in there essentially makes the DeFi platforms that are unregulated, it makes them sort of pointless and small and, and de minimis. I think that's certainly a case for that. You know, institution, institutional investment and involvement is something I think that everyone's been waiting for. Bitcoin's a little bit different. Cryptocurrency is a little bit different in that they were really discovered by retail was the, were the proponents. Remember about five years ago, people pointed and said, you know, Bitcoin's going to 20,000 and that person had five followers on Twitter and everyone assumed they lived in their mother's basement and they had to wear like a metal hat at night to you know, keep away right. the radio waves. Right. 
today, it's the richest man in the world talking about, or JP Morgan pointing and saying it's going to go to 150,000. Mm -hmm. So things have changed very, very quickly in the cryptocurrency universe. I think that something like 64% of all Americans today believe that Bitcoin is going to go higher and they like it. Now, that's a huge voter block. And it's a voter block that cuts across race, it cuts across income level, cuts across you know many different things that traditionally divide people in America. And now you're finding states and governors start to adopt Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in a way that the federal government's now slowly catching up on. But it's becoming so important that it's going to become part of Americans' way of life. And when it becomes that, then the DeFi platform has to adapt or it'll wither. And by adapting, it means, you know, taking on KYC and AML responsibilities. But what will probably happen is they'll have different pools, a pool that's, that, that is much more uh, regulatory friendly and one that isn't. And that, that one that isn't will be offshore. The one that's regulatory friendly would be available for U.S. use. And you see that with a lot of products. You know, Americans can't trade, you know, products called CFDs, contract for difference for, you know, currency or things like that. And so lots of products are limited to Americans by regulators in the U.S. And, you know, people will just start getting steered towards regulated platforms. Now, cryptocurrency is very different from, let's say, securities, because cryptocurrencies are monitored not by a federal agency, but rather by individual states. And they offer things called money transmitter licenses, where securities come under securities law, and that's under the SEC and FINRA. So let's distinguish a little bit. I mean, I'm trying to understand kind of what happens here as this migration happens. There are certain, some of the older cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum and presumably, um, and they've been deemed uh, not securities at this point, right? But I believe, you know, outside of those two, I I don't know that there's been a ruling on about anything else, right? Uh, first of all, is that correct? No, that that is that is correct. There is there is one that's been challenged so far. That's XRP or Ripple, right? And the challenge comes from: Did a company start this up, use this, you know, sell the cryptocurrency in order to create money, and then use that money to really start up their business? Right. Now, you know, there's there's lots of protocol tokens that it wouldn't apply to that Howey test, but certainly it applies to a lot of utility tokens that you see trading on uh, cryptocurrency platforms today. Now, if a cryptocurrency platform is trading a security but doesn't have a digital assets license or register with FINRA or the SEC, that's where the issue comes in. I guess my follow-up to that is now looking at some of the major cryptocurrencies outside of, you know, Ripple, um, you know, if you have, you know, I'm just looking at some of the things that even that I, I own, like BNB or like, you know, Solana, uh, these things, um, most of these have not, did not go through some sort of, or maybe I'm wrong on Solana, I don't know, but I don't think most of them did go through, you know, a uh, Reg D reg d offering and some of them have got pretty substantial market caps i mean what happens to those do those some do those have a pathway to get onto a you know one of you know something yeah, like would, I be able to list yeah. would i be able to list the bnb coin i think that the answer today is no uh-huh okay the bnb coin was issued and i may be wrong here i'm not a lawyer and this is not financial advice yeah but it was listed in an ico and i think they sold something like 15 million dollars of it to right. retail general public. Now it's in the hands of you know hundreds of thousands of people all around the world without a KYC or an AML or let's say a whitelist involved. So you know, you could trade it with someone else or send it to someone else's wallet and you know BNB wouldn't know. Just in general, like would you say then that you guys believe that uh, 
you know, in the U.S. over a period of six months, six years, whatever, uh, you would not be able to legally trade BNB anymore if that were the case. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's probably a good scenario based upon the conversations that the SEC has been having in that I think it's very hard. Once the cat's out the bag, it's hard to get it back in again. That's right. Now, here's an example. Let's let's take XRP. XRP is owned by hundreds of thousand people all around the world. Now, if you were to ask Ripple who owns XRP, they would have no idea. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be able to point to the wallets and say it belongs to this person or that person. Now, when you trade in a regulated environment, you have to know your customer. You have to know that who owns it and who owns the whole supply. And so maybe XRP could set, maybe Ripple could set up you know, a page that says, look, give us your XRP into this, into this site, and then we'll issue you XRP security. An XRP security is then something that could be traded on an exchange. But to get XRP security, they'd also have to go through a prospectus offering, a full prospectus offering, a registered security, rather and a public security rather than a private security, because there's obviously more than 2,000 holders. So that process would have to go through um, where they would have a website that someone would deliver it. They'd then go through KYC, AML, receive their XRP security that they could then trade on a ATS like mine. And, and, and that's a lot of work. You know, so far, the regulators haven't given a path. Yeah. How, do you, how do you get through this? How do you do it? And yeah. so they haven't come up with a pathway yet. And so a lot of this is just conjecture. Yeah. So the idea also you mentioned with, uh, you know, these kinds of platforms is that it won't be just for your, what we think of right now is just digital currencies, digital to- tokens, um, you're talking about a full-on switch with, you know, the mainstream equity markets into these kinds of platforms like INX. Yeah, our, our view is that every single asset in the United States will migrate onto a digital platform and will migrate to become digital securities. The reason being that the current system is, uh, it's very backwards. You know, it was formed, you know, a couple of hundred years ago and it hasn't really changed that much. You know, when you look at just the time that it's open. You know, New York Stock Exchange, 9.30 till 4. Why is that? Well, mm-hmm. I'm guessing someone has taken horse and cart in from New Jersey, trade the morning paper, trade, then read the evening paper on the horse and cart back home. Now, we all know that, you know, securities can be traded 24 hours a day. In the digital realm, they are, but they're not otherwise. And then look, let's look at custody. Traditional ways of custody is you custody it at Morgan Stanley in the name of, Morgan Stanley holds your equity in the name of you. But Morgan Stanley's a custodian. And then they do something called rehypothecation, where they lend it out to mm-hmm. a hedge fund that wants to then short it. Now, I don't know if you followed GameStop and Reddit, but the discussion there was, hold on, this is crazy. I'm buying something to make it go up. And then the person I'm custodying with is then giving it to someone else who's shorting it and going against me. Now, with security tokens today, there is no way to short because what you do is you do self-custody. You actually hold it in a MetaMask wallet or in whatever you know wallet that you want to but in that regards, you know, you're not, it's not being lent out without necessarily your knowledge. And so there is no shorting today. Mm-hmm. And so that, that changes things. How about the way that in the current makeup, you know, a hedge fund can kind of sneak up and start to buy 5% of your stock for the issuer. And the issuer doesn't know until the hedge fund does a filing. Mm-hmm. With a security token, you can watch in live time on etherscan.io and watch as people are buying. You can click on the wallet and you can see how many they've already bought when they bought, are they buying and selling and you know making markets in this or are they becoming a whale? Is it a new buyer? The amount of color is tremendous, but also 
when the government says, listen, does Joe Bloggs own your security? Today, Nike couldn't tell you instantaneously. And so that's a problem. But you know, with us, with a security token, I can tell you what my cap table is in lifetime. I can tell you exactly who owns which tokens. I can freeze them if I'm subpoenaed to by federal authority or state authority. And also, you know, I think that that's, that's huge. But one thing that we did, I think, that, that changed the game a lot is when you own Bitcoin or Ethereum or just an ERC-20 token and you lose your wallet, and we've heard these stories before, right? You've lost your wallet, you've lost your Bitcoin. That doesn't work for your 401k and it doesn't work for your IRA. It doesn't work for your securities because you're holding a lot of money in the securities as well. You can't lose all of your Nike because you lost your seed phrase. And so we developed along with a company called Tokensoft. And, and while we were working through the SEC process, the ERC 1404 standard. Now there, if you lose your wallet, I can revoke from that wallet those lost tokens and I can reissue them to a new wallet. Or if someone tries to hack your wallet and take them, they could take the Ethereum out of it, the USDC, the BNB, but the INEX, the, the token that's sitting on the 1404 standard would refuse to move. It would look to the blockchain and say, hold on, is the wallet I'm moving to whitelisted? And if it's not, it says I'm going to stay exactly where I am. And so we cut down on a lot of the abuses that you see today and the problems in, uh, that you see today with cryptocurrencies in general. And you know the reason we came up with it is because you know we wanted to sell something to the retail general public, and the retail general public doesn't want to lose their investment. Now, if you have one of these utility tokens and it's sitting in a wallet, they could get hacked, or it could get stolen, or you could lose your wallet. That doesn't really work. And so, you know, being in a regulated sense has a lot of positives. I'm sure, sure you may have to pay taxes, but I think most people pay taxes in, you know, in the United States. Um, but you also have that surety of knowing that it's not going to get lost. We've mitigated those uh, circumstances considerably. Well, you know, when I think about what's, what you're talking about, you know, like the Bitcoin purists and uh, blockchain purists are, you know, basically they're like, uh, this is anathema, right? What, what you're talking about, like uh, being able to identify who the people are right, but, immediately. Yes, but, Bitcoin, but Bitcoin's a cryptocurrency, right? you know, you're, whereas Nike's not. Right. Yes, but you're talking about a platform that does the same with both, though, right? I mean, it, you're, you're no. treating them similarly. No, no, we've, we have a cryptocurrency trading platform, and there, you know, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Ethereum move around just like it does okay. at any other platform. Got it. And then for securities, it's a different matter. Okay, so where does INX, what role does INX play in this? Okay, so you've got some big players here, right, who don't necessarily benefit from some of what you're talking about, like, you know, the hedge funds who are sneaking up and the, you know, the, the big brokerages that are helping people sell short by borrowing. What are the, what are the implications of that? Because I, I can't imagine those players are, don't have a lot of political clout or will not try to avoid some of, of what you're talking about. Well, yeah, well, the big players aren't going to do something because I tell them they'll do it because the regulators tell them. Mm-hmm. If the regulators feel there's a better way to do something, then in the end, people will move to it. But certainly self-custody isn't a good thing for anyone that's a large custodian. But if you look at anyone under 30 years old and ask them, how are your stocks custody? They point to their phone and say it's in Robinhood. Mm -hmm. The days that that our, our parents spent calling up a broker to do a trade are pretty much over. And so, you know, folks are moving towards these faster platforms and they're looking with mobility and they're less concerned about custody than they used to be. 
And so, you know, there's a big change afoot. It's sort of like, look, when the Model T came out, I'm pretty sure that the guys making horseshoes said that, you know, cars are dangerous and, you know, you're going to get in an accident. They go too fast. I'm sure there's a lot of excuses and they probably had a lot of lobbying power. Mm. But after a while, people realized the convenience that they had with cars. And so cars started you know, taking off. Mm-hmm. Look at look at mobile phones. Mobile phones were around for about 12 years before they really started taking off. And you can graph this, you know, cell phone adoption in the United States. And I remember for the first 10 years, people said, oh, it's a brick. It's too heavy. It's too big. I don't want people calling me on my commutes. Or and the last one I think was, you know, it's going to give me brain cancer when I put the phone next to my head. Now I think there's three mobile device devices per person in the United States. Mm-hmm. So new technology adoption takes time. And first, you know, you're looked at strangely. Then people laugh at you. Then they say it's dangerous. And then it's adopted. And Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general are sort of reaching that stage now where we've gone through all the effects. But now when JP Morgan starts talking about it as being an asset class and when Elon Musk does, everyone starts to take notice and say, you know what, I really should be involved in this asset class space. And they start to adopt. And as more and more people adopt it, well, then governments have to get around it or they get voted out. And I think that that's, you know, where we are today. Now, as an issuer, you know, I have a security token. And I like the fact that I can pay a dividend directly into someone's wallet, wherever they're holding that token. Mm-hmm. That's a phenomenal achievement. I don't have to go through all of these third parties that today, maybe if Nike send, sends out a $100 dividend, I don't know, but maybe it's 97 you know, cents before our $97 where it gets into someone's wallet because of all the middlemen. When you take out the middlemen and they're going to be anxious about this, but when you take them out, well, you don't need them anymore. Look at the DTCC. The DTCC is sort of the the restaurant behind the, uh, or it's, the, it's the, the, the kitchen behind the restaurants that are New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. And they do all the entries. This has gone from this person to that person. Well, if you don't, if you can settle on the blockchain, the blockchain's recording all of this and you don't need them anymore. So they're going to be reticent about this and they're going to be pushing back against it. But as more and more people get involved in this space and more and more people you know, start to to migrate towards it, not just issuers, but also just, you know, folks that are work, that work, you're going to find that, that uh, things start to move very, very quickly. And already, you know, when you look at job postings, there's fewer job postings in legacy and a lot more in the crypto and digital asset space today. And senior guys like myself are all moving over into this digital asset space because we see the future and we can see, you know, the opportunity. One more question with regard to the future. So effectively, what you're talking about is the New York Stock Exchange, all of these stocks and you know, all these equities uh, that are on exchange going to a digital model. Why would those equities go to a company like INX rather than the New York Stock Exchange ultimately just changing its own technology? Right. Well, well INX, we did a registered security. So you know, public reporting, just like Nike or Amazon. And we went to the New York Stock Exchange. We went to NASDAQ. We said, we'd like to list here. And they said, well, we're not ready for digital securities. It's too early. It's going to be three or four years. Right. So that's an opportunity. Now, in three or four years, I'm not looking for IBM to move over to INX. That's not going to happen in the next year. But in the next year, maybe I'll move over a couple of hundred from the OTC. You know, first I got to crawl before I walk, before I run. Right. The OTC is 13,000 companies. Right. I've identified 225 with a short over 50%. Now, if you're heavily shorted, naked short, um, and your company's sitting on, on the OTC, 
you probably want to be a security token. And the chairman and the CEO of these companies is, are sitting there in the first paragraph of the employment agreement is to uh, maximize shareholder value. Well, if I know that by, by switching my equity into a token, uh, I can squeeze out all the shorts, the odds are they'll probably do it. So that's 225 companies with a high degree of certainty that I think I could probably move over. And as you start moving over more and more companies, well, the smaller broker dealers that deal with OTC companies start to link into this as well. And they start to get behind the program. Mm -hmm. And as the audience starts to grow of the amount of people that are interested in digital securities, then the larger market cap companies start to move over in the NASDAQ. And as the NASDAQ ones start to move over, then the New York Stock Exchange ones have to as well. And you're right. But within three or four years, I've got three or four years where I've already got a, pl a platform that's digital. And let me tell you, it took all, it took 950 days to really kind of get through the whole process and make it all working. You know, these guys have to play a little bit of catch up. Now they could certainly buy or they could create themselves. One really interesting thing about security tokens as well is they're not just related to equity. You know, people that bought my token didn't buy equity in my company. What they bought was 40% of our profits accumulated adjusted, adjusted net operating cash flow in the future. Should we have any? So 40% of our profits in the future, we also have equity and the equity gets the other 60%, but it's not mandatory distributed. Instead, you know, the, the company decides how it should be spent. And the, the equity also have obviously, you know, voter rights and they also have, you know, all the licenses that we have as a company. And that equity trades on the NEO exchange in Canada under uh, the, the ticker INXD. So we've got two different capital stacks, but let's say you're a company and you realize, you know what? Before, if I wanted to do something, I had to issue more equity or I could take on some debt on my balance sheet. Well, let's say now you can carve out future cash flows that you don't have today and you can sell that as a security token and you can raise capital that way. So we're seeing a lot of companies come to us that are publicly, publicly traded companies that want to do that, that want to raise capital in this new way where suddenly they have a community that they can sell to. An example would be ALK Capital. They're the owners of Burnley Football Club, a Premier League soccer team in the UK. And we're working with them in a full prospectus offering where their fans will be able to participate in the future successes of the club. For the OTC example, there's a, a press release put out by a company called EV Biologics. They're trading on the OTC. And they said, look, we want to delist from the OTC. We want to give up our ticker and we want to list on INX. So the companies are already out there and they're doing it. Uh, I think that the, the fact is, though, that these are trees falling in the forest and no one's actually seeing them. But, you know, as I come on more shows like your own, I think that more people become aware. Is INX active right now? Are you launching? When? When is... Uh, when? INX is active right now. It's the, we've got the largest market cap that trades on our platform. And it, um, so that's one thing. Um, and we're adding more and more tokens as the year goes on uh, onto our platform. Um, we're also uh, open and, and trading on our cryptocurrency site as well. And, and uh, we've got an app coming out in February to trade cryptocurrency. We weren't in the Super Bowl like all of the other guys, but we people will start to hear about us. And then also in September, October, we'll have an app that combines both the securities and the cryptocurrencies. And that'll be the first time anyone's ever seen something like that. How do you access INX right now if you are you know listening to this show and you're interested? Well, you can go to inx.co. Uh, and that, there you'll learn all about the company and all the different products that we have. If you want to trade the security token, you go to securities.inx.co. If you want to trade the crypto, you go to crypto.inx.co. You can see why I'm coming out with an app. It's a lot easier for me to say, just go to the app store, yeah. but I won't be able to say that until the end of February. 
Very good. Well, we'd love to have you back on the show and see how this progresses uh, in the near future. Thanks so much for joining us on Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Buck. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I thought that whole thing was fascinating, and I'm curious to see where it goes. Now, my hypothesis actually on this, and I think he actually alluded to this, was that, you know, I think INX is probably, you know, one of these technologies that's going to be so far in front that maybe you don't necessarily, you know, instead of trying to mimic it, the New York Stock Exchange essentially tries to buy it or acquire it, right? So I think, I'm guessing that that's probably uh, the ultimate, uh, although no one would actually come out and say that, that's actually my guess on what the goal of the whole thing is. But at, at any rate, I do think that this whole area is fascinating. And again, I think it's important to know uh, all these things that are going on so that if you decide you may, may you know, take the opportunity to potentially invest in what you believe might be the future. Anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, this is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.